so hard to put them on. We need some sort of mel- um, uh, music. So I'm just going to record this and then we'll go. All right. So welcome to the Mind Body Business Podcast with uh, Devo and Lisa or Lisa and Devo. How did my name get first before yours? I like that. No, I don't. All right. The Mind Body Business Podcast is a weekly talk show style podcast that deconstructs crucial talking points concerning the human race and the planet as a whole. We believe in the power of the human soul, collectivity, innovation, and extending the frontiers of information dissemination. With this, we unpack the amazing things others are doing with their superpowers in candid, raw, mostly unfiltered conversation. That part should be underlined. Our superpowers are are to help others realize theirs and in so doing, overcome your fears and anxieties, teeing you up for that good to great transformation that you deserve. Our growth-oriented like life hack conversations with real people doing real things will help you unlearn limiting mindsets to hopefully improve yours and get on the track to living your most amazing life. We need someone else to read this so that I don't have to do this every time because it's way too long. All right. We're going to jump in here real quickly. We have a really cool guest guest on the show today, and um, he can hear us behind the scenes. We're using our new platform. Thank you, StreamYard. We're excited about it for letting us check this out. And <clears throat> our guest is Alex Zek, and he is from The Way Forward. And you can find him online on Instagram at alec.zek. He actually has like seven different Instagram accounts because he's perpetually being booted off for his wayward ways. And we're going to talk to him a little bit about that. Um, I met Alec uh, virtually. Um, he is a speaker, a writer, a podcast host, and a conscious thought leader that promotes free thinking, unity, and medical freedom. I'm obviously reading from this. It's brilliant. Um, but now, candidly speaking, I first discovered Alec um, on Instagram. Go figure. And I quickly fell in love with his honest, straightforward, data-driven approach to researching talking points and presenting it so that anyone can understand. Like he dumbs it down for us small-minded people. And the post that I first saw from his, um, he posted in June. I think it was June 1st. Alec, if you're listening behind scenes, it was talking about the law of one, which, as you know, um, I love to read books that really kind of force you to step outside your comfort zone of thought and that sort of stuff. And he posted on law of one about how the book had resonated with him. And, and I had gone through a personal journey of my own, um, a sense of uh, a sort of, sort of awakening, if you will. Um, and it was from a book as well, very similar to his, and, and we're not going to talk too much about the book, but the book at the crux and what really struck me about his post and why I really wanted to get him on the podcast and why I started following him is he ta- the book talks about um, the symbiosis between everything on this planet, the universe, the planet, we're all just we're all just playing a part and each of our parts is connected to each other. And so um, whatever happens to one, call it karma, call it chaos theory, call it order, whatever you want to call it, everything is connected. And, and on a subconscious level, on a, on a vibrational level, et cetera. And, and he wrote in his post, I wish we could pull it up, but he wrote in his post about how the book had basically changed his philosophies on life and how he approached everything. And I was like, that's some deep captivating shit that he just wrote. And I was like, I could really like, I dig his style. And so I started following him. And now fast forward to roughly shortly after that post, the shit hit the shit, the fan. Is that the right saying? The shit hit the fan Mm -hmm. um, with our fantastic conversation of Corona and he really found, and I, and I don't know what he was doing before this. I think he might have been a circus clown, but he really found his voice in terms of who, who he was and what he believed in and really started speaking candidly and raw about a lot of the same things that we have been talking about since February when we were in Rome. So I'm going to go ahead and bring him in. That was a really long intro, Alec. 
Really excited to talk to you and bring you in right now. Hey. Hey, I uh, I laughed, I cried, everything during that intro. That was great. <laughs> Five star rating. <laughs> that, was, that was perfect. That was good. <laughs> Thanks for All having right. me. Yeah, man. So um, I don't get a big head, but I've really kind of been excited about uh, interviewing you. Or You've been I, fangirling. I have been sort of fangirling you. I, it, it's your you and your mom and the crew that you kind of roll with in sort of the content. Um, you you say so many things. It's true. It's true. The, the the post about the law of one really resonated with me. I read five, six years ago now, um, Conversations with God, uh-huh. and it blew my mind away. And, you know, I grew up in this staunchly conservative, it's my way or the highway conditional environment, much like, let me stop there. You're supposed to kick me when I go into conversations I'm not supposed to. And when you posted that about this book, um, which, by the way, I have now ordered to read, um, is sitting in my in my queue. I, I was blown away by it. And then you started talking about Corona and COVID and all these sorts of things. And I thought it'd be really fun to have you on for a candid conversation. Hopefully not get you kicked off the platform for the seventh time. <laughs> That's all good. But I thought we could kind of twist the conversation to be more educational and informational because you know there's too much polarization going on as it is maybe we can shed some light and and educate a few people on what's actually happening on the planet right now Mm -hmm. and instead doing maybe change a couple of lives cool dude i'm so cool with that i just want to say too it's really cool that i i had no idea you'd bring up the law of one most people don't ask me about that it's sitting right next to me because there's a chair right here and prior to getting on the podcast with you i was reading uh, the law of one, um, reading it for the second time now. So it's like, uh, it's, it's, it's one of the most dense, uh, spiritual texts I've ever written. And I've explored a lot of things, um, in terms of like what it means to be human. Right. And, uh, this, this book had so many of those things that you know, to be true, but have never verbally expressed or have never had anyone say to you before but you've always had that lingering thought or feeling in your, in your deep down within your soul. Um, and each time that I read this and I'm, I'm reading it for my second time, it pulls something new out of me. And I learn something about myself and about the way that I interact with my environment and my inter- environment interacts with me. And really <laughs> that's a funny way of saying interacting with myself because this is all one big self. So, yeah. Yeah, not to go off on a tangent because <laughs> I know we want to cover some other things, but it was just cool as you're saying that. I was like, wow, yeah, I literally just got done reading this before I get. I try, I center myself prior to getting on um, any podcast or having people on my podcast or Instagram live um, by doing something that I love to do that makes me feel like I am who I am. And that's either meditating, spending time with my son, spending time with my wife. Um, interacting with my environment in ways that human beings are supposed to, or, or reading something that draws that out of me. So that's what I was doing prior to getting on this podcast, but thank you for having me on. That was, that was my introduction now. And that was really long. So let's get into the questions. Man, I wrote enough about you. You, you must have some sort of ego. You need to tell me all that about it. So I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll joke in the side, dude, uh, June 1st, you posted that on June 1st. And that's when I first discovered you. And I shortly thereafter, I found your mom and a p- bunch of other people in that space because um, I was, I was noticing that nobody was really talking about the real stuff that needed to be talked about. And we were flying back from Rome on, on the 25th of February and the, they just, they had already kind of been in the early frameworks of all this nonsense in Italy. Um, we actually sat in a soccer match 
in Napoli against Roma and they had banned all the Rome fans from attending the game because further north in Italy, they had started the scare. Right. So Lisa and I are sitting here and there's like, this doesn't make any sense. So you're going to shut down one side of the stadium, but leave another side of the stadium open. And so do we not breathe it yet? It just like, it doesn't even make none of it any sense. Like anyway. um, So that's that. So I'm glad you're here. I'm excited to talk to you. So can I continue? Yes. All right. I'm going to open this podcast with, something that I have have had scrawled on a bazillion different journals and books and things of that throughout my entire life. And it's a quote from Einstein about free thinkers will always seem crazy to those who can't be on con- beyond to those who can't be on conventions, never apologize for evolving beyond people's comfort zones. And then I'm going to talk about um, another quote that came from your mother, if you will. She how many people can say that their moms have double the amount of followers they do on social media? But I can say that. Yeah, your mom's pretty badass. I love her story. I was that's the woman I was telling you about who beat disease and death and came back and is now. Yeah. She wrote the other day there are two types of people and she was speaking in analogies to the Titanic and she said there are people that sit around listening to the orchestra and hope that everything just gets better. And there's the second type of people that rallied together, got the life rafts, got the women and children on the boats, and made their whatever they could, their lemonade out of lemons to get off that boat. And that's the people that actually ended up surviving a lot of them. Why, my first question to you, in your opinion, and by the way, you're not a doctor, you're not a physician, you're not a virologist, you're not a biologist. Mm-hmm. And and not not to knock on any of those people that have those credentials, but you are an educated thinker and a free thinker and a a curious individual. And and most of what I'm reading, and this is anecdotal because this is the first time I physically met you. Um, most of what I see you write is backed with research and data. And so somebody once got into an argument with me about you know how can you have a position on this? You're not a doctor. And I had this conversation last week with a doctor and her take on everything is completely opposite of mine. And she's like, you're not a doctor. I am. And I'm like, yeah, but I'm not a doctor, but I'm also very educated and I'm learned and I read and I study everything. And so this is you. And so my question to you first, before I go into that is why are you, why would anybody listen to your opinion about all this? Who are you that someone would want to take your stance on what you present? You know, um, that's a really good question. So who am I? Um, I am no more important than the person asking that question, whoever it is. Why should you listen to me? You shouldn't blindly listen to anything that I say ever. You shouldn't blindly listen to anyone, anyone's, anything anyone says ever. Um, what you should do is learn to trust yourself and trust your own intuition as your guide and then discern information for yourself outside of a fearful lens. And once you've been able to do that, if you come to a conclusion that's different than mine, so be it. That's completely fine. At least you've made your thoughts your own. So that's the way that I would answer that. Now, as it pertains to my take on on everything happening, this notion that doctors and experts are all in agreement about everything that's going on is completely false. So I uh, actually tweeted this earlier. I put like asterisks because that implies action, like when you're typing, right? So I put asterisks like, uh, or someone someone asks a question, um, 
your 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 experience yeah okay that's valid but it's also anecdotal where's the science or where's the uh doctors and experts to back up your claim and then you provide those doctors and experts okay yeah these are just a few crazy doctors and experts what about the science and data to back up your claim you present the science and data and then subsequently that science and data is then censored thereafter it's just a never-ending cycle of trying to prove your position and I'm almost getting to the point right now where it's senseless to do so because it's very clear, even for the people who have held that position previously, that, oh, all scientists and experts and doctors all agree. They're now seeing very clearly that that's not the case because for the first time in history, a lot of those doctors or experts or in, in any field, but this doesn't even just apply to COVID, it applies to everything are saying, no, no longer. I'm going to speak if I'm seeing something that is at odds with what I'm being told. Mm -hmm. And so many are starting to speak out. And the narrative or or that notion that doctors are all in agreement is no longer. That's not a thing anymore. So that doctor that was discussing with you, it's very easy to show, okay, what about these doctors? What about these doctors over here that don't agree with this whatsoever? Yeah. And here's what I always fall back on when I'm discussing this. You have one side of the spectrum that is trying to impose its will, its science of choice, its data of choice, its testimony of choice on others versus the opposite side of that is science and data that is trying to back the notion that we should all have choice for ourselves. We should all be able to discern what health is on the individual level. And there's the difference. And then I take that from my own personal spiritual perspective and say anything that is trying to impose its will on others is immediately thrown out the window to me. Mm -hmm. That's immediately wrong. So that's the way that I would attack that. Now, like listening to me, it all goes back to what I said originally. You don't have to listen to me. I don't expect you to blindly accept anything that I say. All that I want people to do is trust themselves and think for themselves. People don't want to do that. There's a large no, population. No, people are uncomfortable with the, with having to go through a discomfort, and that's a bottom line. You, you said a couple of things, and it's then – It's easier being spoon-fed, though. Absolutely, because you don't have to put the work in, right? So I, I, said, I, I said to the doctor that we just referenced – um, what I said, and she wrote, because I, I actually referenced credible research, Dr. Cohen, for example, that Dr. Tommy John, nutritionist, we, we know on our podcast, we have all sorts of doctors that have come on and told us the same narrative that you are. And I said, I, I literally texted her 10 or 12 different doctors and research and, and data straight from the CDC. And she said, oh, that's all just conspiracy. You're just like a conspiracy kook. And I'm just like, okay, I'm not going to argue with you. And, and I'm, that's the same thing that Lisa and I said, we're not going to get into an argument. Um, I'm going to continue doing what we do, trying to be a beacon of light for those that I can communicate with. I think when the student is ready, the message will eventually arrive. I see it happening more and more every day. I think that if people like yourself continue doing what you're doing, and even if you're getting kicked off the platforms and you're starting over again, the, the information will be found because I think people are really waking up. And I have always said, we both have said from the beginning of this, I think that there's a much bigger purpose and picture to all of this. And I think it has a happy ending. It, there is going to be some cataclysmic pain and growing pains leading up to that. I 
don't I'm, I'm not at all disillusioned about that but i do believe on the other side of this that there is a much brighter picture um for everyone involved and and, and i've always thought that it's just unfortunate that most people just because we're instant instant gratification nation we don't want any pain we don't want to suffer like no nobody wants to face pain it's like just give me the easiest path of least resistance to get my nut right yeah so, well and, and humanity right now is in a collective dark night of the soul so many people um, and, and collective organizations are being forced to look at some of the shadow sides of themselves um, and really bring those to the surface and address them. And that's either you um, evolve or you repeat. You continue to repeat those patterns and uh, anchoring those roots of darkness within yourself or you evolve. But it all starts with allowing the darkness to surface. So that's why it's so perceptively dark right now. And for the people who haven't done any work to heal their own individual trauma or uh, connect with themselves or make amends for the, some of the things that they've done to others, um, some of the nefarious intentions that they've had, um, are going to struggle tremendously through a time like this when it's happening on the collective because they haven't even faced their own demons. Yeah. Well, that's a dismal scene, but I, I don't disagree with you. You need to work on your Southern Baptist voice a little bit so that when you lay down knowledge like that, it's more presentable. <laughs> I'll try. I'll work on that. All right. So here's here's my first question um, that's going to kind of lead us into our first rabbit hole. I have seen multiple studies from one of the more esteemed medical universities in the country, UCLA, who published a study multiple times now saying, um, A, that the coronavirus has not technically been detected in any sort of PCR test. Like they can't actually isolate the strain of what uh, something, a unique version of, of anything other than just a regular Corona strain. Right. They also said that your chances of dying from Corona are one in 19 million. Um, and there was an antecedent note to that that said where your chances of dying from a car accident is one in 114. And this is straight from UCLA published papers. Why doesn't that sort of data and the thousands of other pieces of data that are coming out now from independent peer-reviewed sources resonate with a large swath of the population? Why are Why are people so bent on listening to this narrative that's coming from the other side? Because that's what they've been conditioned to do. Um, they've been conditioned to, especially when in perpetual states of fear, blindly accept what is given to them, um, by perceived authority figures or by, uh, the media. Um, and this all goes back to fundamentally how we learn, um, in, in our school systems. And it's that we are taught what to think and we're not taught how to think. We're not taught to think critically. We're not taught to analyze we're taught to blindly accept and just memorize things. So when presented with a situation where you're in an intense state of perpetual fear and you don't know where to turn, you automatically look outside yourself rather than breathing and calming yourself in order to discern for yourself. So you will look to the most readily available information that, that there is, and that's the news. And the news we could go into the funding of everything. The news is heavily funded by industries who stand to make a profit off of specific solutions or, and I say solutions uh, in, in quotations because they're nothing of the sort. Yeah. It's, it's um, we live in a world of memes and I saw a, a meme that backs that point up. It says um, it's first day of medical school 
and it, there is no money in the cure. Is what the, no. what the professor was teaching up on board. There's money in perpetual disease, though. So, can I continue? Yeah, you? yeah, and I, and just what you're saying, you know, fear gets ratings. Oh, fear, yeah. fear, you know, we're going to tune in. It's going to get followers. And uh, I live in Hilton Head, where there's there's you know, the chance of a hurricane coming. And when, you know, the weather channel gets that on there, I've got my mom calling me from Canada saying, it's horrible there right now. I'm watching it. I'm like, it's, it's really nice out today. <laughs> it's really going on. <laughs> so. Good point. So with this hurricane that's going on and, and called Corona, um, I was listening to a podcast with somebody, I think you actually know, Dr. Thomas Cohen. He wrote the contagion myth. Cowan. Um, yeah. Cowan, Dr. Sorry. Yeah. You're good. Yeah, and I have his book, The Contagion Myth, that he wrote, and he he was talking about um, the uh, 5G technology and this electromagnetic field that has been released. It's like a quantum number over in Wuhan in China back in November, which incidentally is where this supposedly all began. I don't know. I don't really care where it began. As a matter of fact, it's just – it could have – you know. It... And then he went on to talk about how um, all of this sort of data around this was just manufactured data around it. Can you talk a little bit around what you know in the 5G, the electromagnetic myth, the contagion myth, all that sort of stuff, just so we can understand what Cowan was saying there? Yeah. <laughs> um, do you want me to speak strictly to 5G or do you want me to go into the myth that exists of contagion itself? Well, you can, they're both kind of lead into each other. So the 5G, it's not just 5G, but it's this, no. this, this burgeoning and it's been going on for years now. This, all the, the static electricity, non-native non electromagnetic frequencies uh, yeah. th that like, there's a difference between the electromagnetic frequencies that exist on the earth that nature puts off naturally. Right. And then ones that are pulsed, which are non-native, which we have created very pulsed, very specific like in order to get a radio to work, you have to tune tune it to 98.6. It has to be a very specific frequency, right? Mm -hmm. So we can go back <laughs> to, the, to the very beginning, uh, the Spanish flu. Um, there's a lot of data to show that Dr. Cowan presents in his book, um, much of which is irrefutable. And it's really interesting to, to just to not to go off on a tangent, but Dr. Cowan, I've talked with him several times and he says this over and over and over again. I've been attacked a lot for what I like believe in. My character has been attacked, but I've yet to come across anyone who effectively attacks my arguments or the data that I put forth. And knowing him and people like Stefan Lenka, who, who think like Dr. Cowan does, even Dr. Zach Bush, Dr. Andy Kaufman, um, they are some of the most, uh, how do I put this? They show such such a level of humility in the way that they approach things. They admit mistakes when they make them. They have no problem doing so. Like I had a conversation actually, like oddly enough, two days ago with Dr. Cowan, and he talked about how he was previously practicing as a physician. He has, has changed since then. Like yeah. he's he changes and he admits where he was wrong in some areas, right? But to start, like, so the Spanish flu, and I hope I don't butcher this, <laughs> but the Spanish flu. Um, Dr. Cowan argues was a result of covering the earth in radio waves for the first time that human beings were not accustomed to. And 
one of the main points that was really eye-opening for me that backs up this claim is they took a bunch of people at the Boston Public Health Institute that were sick with the Spanish flu or supposedly sick with the Spanish flu and had them open mouth cough into healthy people for like five to 10 minutes, which would mimic the way uh, at the time scientists believe respiratory diseases to be passed. And I want to say none of the healthy people got sick from those that were showing symptoms of what was the Spanish flu. So now fast forward to what we have with, with COVID-19 and Dr. Cowan argues, and I personally subscribe to this as well, that it is an accumulation of covering the earth or blanketing certain areas of the earth and millimeter wave technology, which to start millimeter wave technology has been shown to be harmful at certain frequencies. That is like, that is not me applying conjecture. That is not a conspiracy. That is absolutely true. There's crowd control devices that the that militaries all over the world use that is quite literally millimeter wave technology. Like that's that's not a conspiracy theory whatsoever. That's fact. Mm-hmm. And it is the same exact technology when what they're saying is at a different frequency, but we can't we can't really know that that's the case or not. And we can't know for sure that that frequency is healthy for human beings to be exposed to in high doses over and over and over again all day, right? Um, very targeted. Um, and Dr. Cowan argues it's areas that have the, that, and I also like to bring in what Dr. Zach Bush says, areas that have high use of glyphosate and like just horrible industrial farming practices and then high uh, carbon emission areas. If you like lay a map, this is what Dr. Zach Bush says again, if you lay a map of areas with all of those things, the EMF, the high use of glyphosate, uh, carbon emissions in the atmosphere, and then like horrible industrial farming practices over the areas with the worst COVID-19 outcomes, they're nearly identical. Right. So, and this is another piece that Dr. Cowan touches on. That's super interesting to me. Um, and again, I hope I, <laughs> I hope I don't butcher it. But if if I do butcher it, everyone needs to go read Dr. Cowan's book, The Contagion Myth. Um, but the way science has attempted to show that viruses are the cause of illness is to take a virus or take snot from a, a sick person, attempt to isolate the virus out of that person via spinning it through a centrifuge to separate it by weight and then putting it through a filter to separate it by size. And then you would have an isolated virus. And then in nearly every case that, that I've come across and Dr. Count argues every case that he has come across. Um, and I've, I've read a lot of the same things that he's read. I won't even pretend to be well-versed as well-versed as he is though. But the point is in nearly every case, when you take said isolated virus and inject it into a healthy host or put it onto a healthy uh, either kidney cell or like some other tissue, uh, it does not cause the tissue or cell to die. So you would think if we have, if viruses and bacteria are predatory and are the cause of disease, that it would cause that cell to die, right? Mm -hmm. It isn't until they starve the cell or expose it to some toxic substance. And then 
put the virus in that the cell dies. So that's the basis or that's the, the, the basics of what Dr. Cowan argues and sort of what I subscribe to. And now for people listening, obviously that's going to sound extremely shocking because that's how it was for me at first. But again, this is where I always say explore for yourself. I know that in my life and my family's life, my wife had lupus and rheumatoid arthritis uh, from age 15 through age 24 and was perpetually sick all the time. Right. I used to have sinus infections all the time. And now that we have cleaned up our insides physically, mentally and spiritually, because it's all three health is is all three. And all of those are inextricably linked Mm -hmm. as we have adopted a more mindful approach meditated, spent time in nature, spend time detoxifying ourselves, exercising, eating clean, organic foods, primarily fruits and vegetables. It's going to be different for each person. That's for them to discern for themselves and drinking clean, unfluoridated water. I don't get sick. Exercise. Ex- I did say exercise. Did exercise? I didn't hear. Exercise. I did. I did say exercise. Yeah. So um, I don't get sick. And what like if if we have this pathogen that supposedly exists right why is it that so many people that practice and do the things that i do never ever get sick mm-hmm. make a concerted effort to clean their insides mentally physically and spiritually rarely if ever get sick yeah i i hear you on that there's two things i want to draw i want to go back to the fluoridated water because you and i have been talking about fluoridated toothpaste and a bunch of things i want to talk about that in a second a couple of things that i want to draw from your first um conversation about cowan i also read a report recently and i'll have to go back and find it. i have it saved in my library where in 2014 dr fauci was talking about the spanish flu and he was talking about the mask wearing right yeah it had nothing to do like it was like 90 percent of the people that died or even even higher number than that this is in the cdc report in 2014 from dr um fauci where 90% of the people that died didn't die from the flu per se. They died from staphylococcus, uh, um, uh, bacterial infections to their lungs, pneumonia, that sort of stuff. And it's because they were wearing masks. And then I saw another report that just came out recently. It might have been UCLA or somebody else. Um, They were talking about that 70% of the people that were so-and-so getting sick or dying from corona were people who wore their mask 90% of the time. And so for me, it's the, the evidence is irrefutable. I have seen doctor after doctor after study after study that, that talks about the lack of efficacy for these masks. But just on a simple level, what we both fail to understand, if this is the most – somebody else wrote – said something about this. If this is the most dangerous, lethal virus that we've ever seen and, and, there's, so much, and, and there's so much deadly nature to it, why are we buying a $1 mask to protect ourselves from it? Like, h- How is that physically going to have any sort of impact? Or my daughter's soccer team. And I'm, we're going to go into masks here in a second. They just released a, a bulletin that says the kids have to wear a mask from the car to the field. But as soon as they get to the field, they, have to, they can take off their masks when they're running around, bumping up against each other, you know, filled of soccer athletes without a mask. And, and I'm trying to and, – and the club releases this bulletin saying there's no way you can go on this bulletin. Why have masks taken such a foothold on society? And why are they being used? Because we think there's a bigger reason for it. But what's your opinion on the masks? I can't say why they're being used. Um, like, 
I, I truly can't. I, I don't understand it. I have my <laughs> very fringe beliefs on why I think that they're being used. I don't necessarily want to get into that, but I will say that it is very clear. Like you have within, within studies, right? Like a, a sort of tiered system of how, um, how much a study is worth, like, 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 is it worth its weight? Right. So you have meta-analyses, meta-analyses of randomized controlled trials, then you have randomized controlled trials. And then all the way down here, you have observational studies. And most of the studies that they cite for the importance of mask wearing were observational studies that had absolutely no control arm to compare to and didn't test for long-term effects. They were very simply, okay, dude, wear a mask, cough. Yeah. Okay. Don't wear a mask. Cough. Okay. Masks work. That's like, that's <laughs> a very, uh, a very, uh, what, what word am I looking for? I guess easy way to put it, I guess something, something like that. But, uh, th that, that's a, effectively what we have to argue that masks are effective, especially cloth masks. Now, if masks work, and there is some data that you could argue that N95 masks, when fitted, work. Why are we being told that any mask of any material is fine? And as long as you're wearing one, that's okay. Like there's there's absolutely no logic to this. And then going back to your example of soccer, they can bump up and rub up against each other the entire time that they're playing on the field. And as soon as they step off, they have same, same people that were in close contact with each other, breathing really heavily, like spitting, sweating all over each other then have to be six feet apart from each other and wear masks. Yeah, it's insane. Completely logical. Yeah, it's completely logical. And when they come out from playing the game, when they get subbed out, mm -hmm. they have to sit six feet apart with a mask on, on the sideline. It's like, yeah. it, why is nobody, and people are, but what I, what I always say every time is, why is nobody else saying, what the fuck? How does that make any sense to you? Like, and people it just- It's well, all nonsensical. And, and, and this, is, this is why like, I'm, I'm almost- at a point now, especially because the last three posts that I've made on Instagram that were deleted, and actually my only three posts that I've made that were ever deleted by Instagram, were ones in which I cited a study or cited a report that went against the official narrative. So one of those was, uh, we can get into PCR tests later. We'll get into censorship after this, but getting back to the initial point of what I was trying to make is, there is so much data, so many studies, and I have them all saved on my phone, and I don't even feel the need to post them or prove my point anymore because it is very clear that so many people are so bought into this, despite how illogical so many of these things are, that they cannot and will not see, even if you provide them evidence that is and uh, I, I, I grinds up against what they believe in, right? So we have multiple randomized controlled trials, a new one that just came out, the Danish study, right? Mm -hmm. And we've had previous ones that have shown conclusively that masks, um, like especially cloth masks, lead to worse health outcomes than oftentimes people who don't wear them at all. Yeah. And an interesting piece on the Danish study is they actually measured the amount of people that got bacterial pneumonia, the amount of people that had uh, cognition problems, the amount of people that had perpetual headaches. They measured a number of other health outcomes throughout the study, the progress of the study, but then did not report them in the conclusion or the findings. And you have to sort of ask, why wouldn't they? I think you and I, and like anyone listening can probably go, okay, I know why they didn't report them. But 
it's <laughs> it's like even the information that shows masks to be ineffective they're going to try to spin it a little bit yeah to sort of say that they might be in some way so but what about we're talking about the physical medical purposes of masks you know whatever that take is on that but what about the psychological Mm -hmm. effects of it Mm -hmm. because maybe it's just us we have people that are just they're totally comfortable wearing them they don't feel like they're being um, shunted in any way you know they're they're 100 in and there's other people that that you can feel the difference that it's making mm-hmm. on your personality on other uh, on the connecting with other people on the way that you you um you address other people that you have conversations with other people the moods that people are in mm-hmm. people stop saying hi people stop like so our humanity our human yeah our humanity is slowly slipping away the more that we're apart from each other the less that we interact with each other we're glued to our fo- phones more than ever even i myself have to find myself like okay put that shit down mm-hmm. go spend time you know what i mean there they whoever whoever they is <laughs> um are really trying to get us to buy into this technology and separate ourselves from our humanity yeah. And like, you see that, just like you said, like it, it started with masking. And now when you walk by someone in the store, you don't even think to say hi. You don't even think to engage with them. And previously you walk by someone in the store, smile at them, say, Hey, how are you? Like, even if you don't know them, that's just what you do as human beings. You interact with each other. There's no more interaction. Human beings exist in community and thrive in community. And we are having community stripped from our lives, which is an essential piece of health. Mm-hmm. Which is an essential piece of your book that you read, Law of One, which is Mm -hmm. at the crux of it. That's the message is everyone is in a symbiotic relationship with each other, the universe, the plants, the animals, humans, everyone. And so we've thought the same thing. The whole point is to – I think there's another aspect of it, and we'll move off of masks because we could talk about these Mm -hmm. until we're blue in the face. But the other element that I think that masks are is I I think that they're personally running a beta test on us right now to kind of see who's going to be subservient and who is not, who's going to fall in line and who doesn't, so that they can start kind of classifying us on different levels of threat, for example, or Mm -hmm. different levels of subservience, for example. I also think it's training people to everything you just said, the socialization aspect of it. But more than anything else, it's teaching people to kind of you know how you train a horse, put yep. you know a, a cart horse. How do you train a cart horse? You put a muzzle on it and you put goggles on it or blinders on it so it can only go one specific direction. And you in and over time it starts to kind of learn that as soon as it's sidled up and the bridle's on and then the saddle's put on and it's put into the reins that it's just going to go wherever it's led. And so um, I, I'm seeing that happening already now. And so it's unfortunate, but I, th- I think that there's. I'd like to think there's hope that the, the people are actually starting to wake up. One of the things that you started to go into and you, I didn't hear you finish was on the masks is why is nobody talking about that cascades of the mask wearing outside of just the psychological element? You know, their suicides are at an all time high across the board in multiple age and genders. Depression is at an all time high and rising across multiple um, levels of people. Alcohol cells, for example, at an all time high. Why, if this thing was all about health, this is something I've asked from the beginning. If this is all about your health and safety, why are two of the leading factors of death in this country, alcohol and tobacco, not pulled from the shelves and banned? I, that's the thing. It's like nobody's asking these questions. And then it's people like you who are asking them, but you get blocked and you get kicked off of social media. This is one of my favorite questions to answer. 
because I always go back to this. So if we take the data from the CDC at face value, and I can say definitively that we absolutely cannot, and even the CDC has sort of said that in some ways, because PCR tests are in... We're going to go into those in a second, so don't go... I can talk those for days. Um, (laughs) PCR tests are not intended to diagnose without context or without a uh, limit of detection applied to them. And we can, we can get into that, but even taking the CDC's data at face value, what we know is that 94% of COVID deaths had an average of 2.6 comorbidities, much of which were lifestyle or nutrition related. Explain what that means. Comorbidity, please. So, okay. So comorbidities are things that are like listed as co-causes of death. So you, you had diabetes or you had yeah. cancer yes. already or okay, correct. Yeah. So ni- think about this. 94% of people that I think as of September that had died of COVID, actually no, not of, I'm going to use the correct word choice, died with COVID-19. Mm-hmm. And they say that, they say die with COVID-19. 94% of people that died with COVID-19 had an average of 2.6 comorbidities, meaning 2.6 additional causes of death, much of which were lifestyle or nutrition related causes of death. So things had those individuals taken the proper steps to support themselves, nutrition and lifestyle, they probably wouldn't have died. I can't say definitively that they wouldn't have died because then you have the other 6% that didn't have 2.6 comorbidities Um, but the point is the media who all of a sudden seems to care about health so much, right? If they, if you know, taking the data at face value, that statistic, then why is the media who's so concerned about health all of a sudden constantly showing fast food advertisements and pharmaceutical advertisements? Why does the media never discuss anything whatsoever to do with nutrition or lifestyle changes for individuals? Mm-hmm. Further, why are so many of the steps we're taking limiting people's ability to change their lifestyle? It's 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 senseless. Senseless is the best word to describe it. Those comorbidities that you were referencing earlier, and a couple of those, I just wanted to hear you say it, because a lot of people don't, might not know what comorbidity is. Those comorbidities contribute, and I'm just going to rattle off some real data straight from CDC and WHO website. Heart disease, 9 million annually. Stroke, 5 million annually. Pulmonary disease, 3 million annually. Lower respiratory diseases, 3.5 million. Lung cancer, 3 million. Diabetes, 2.5 million. Car accidents, 2.4 million. That's not one of the comorbidities. But all of those comorbidities that you just referenced are all factors that people already had, those 2.4, 2.0, whatever you reference. That's what you're saying. And those numbers – so for me, when I hear you say what you just said, and I know this data, which I've been talking about for a bit, there seems to be a direct correlation in we already know this information. We already know this is what's going to happen to these categorical people here. So they seem like the perfect candidate to be assigned to the the COVID clause. Yeah. um, (laughs) It's it's really tough, man, because – you know, death is is something that shouldn't be taken lightly. It's 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 an emotional experience. Um, no matter what your beliefs are, it's it's obviously something that is extremely sad. So it's really hard 
to effectively articulate this to people who do know someone who has died and the cause of death was COVID-19 or one of the causes of death was listed as COVID-19. It is extremely hard to articulate that to people or even people who don't know someone who has died with COVID-19, people that are in perpetual states of fear who are constantly shown imagery and constantly uh, hear repetition of phrase of certain things regarding what's going on to effectively explain this to them. And you've caught me at an interesting time um, in, in my life in that I am, am getting to the point in my approach of, of speaking and engaging on social media where I don't even feel the need to back up what I say with, with studies and data. Yeah. Because at this point, it is so blatantly obvious to me that so many experts and don't agree with what's going on. So many people who are connected to their intuition think something is wrong here. We're not being told the whole story. We're being fed in many ways, egregious lies. Um, and I, what those egregious lies are, are for people to discern for themselves. Mm -hmm. Right. But so many people are so bought into so many of these narratives that are very fear-based, that are all based in separation, all based in something that we need to defend ourselves against at all costs, that they cannot see anything you throw at them, even if it is the most compelling data or the most compelling studies, um, they're not going to see it. And I've, I've gotten to the point where it's not even worth engaging trying to prove my position. It becomes Bible bashing. That's a good it point. does. Yeah. No, it does. 100%. All right. So I want to jump into some educational topics here, if you can, and just quickly try to prattle off your high level on it so that we can understand it's down here on the, on the lower totem poles. What's a PCR test? Okay. PCR is polymerase chain reaction. So what PCR tests are intended to do is their, their intended use is really genetic testing. Um, to the, to the best of my understanding on that. I know that I have a friend who owns three genetic testing facilities in the New York, New Jersey area that had been using PCR prior to SARS-CoV-2 or COVID-19, the, the disease, right? Um, but that is their intended use. And if you wouldn't mind, actually, let's, let's back up. So the way PCR tests are being used for COVID-19 is I'm going to, I'm going to give an analogy and this is probably the best one that uh, I've come up with. So imagine if we had a problem with people um, like everyone started to drive drunk, right? Like oh, there's like, like there's so many more people than usual driving drunk. So the way to respond to that was we're like, okay, in order to combat this, we are going to use a really sensitive blood alcohol test. And we are going to make sure every single person receives this really sensitive blood alcohol test. And e if even a, the smallest, most minuscule amount of alcohol shows up in someone's system, we're going to label them as drunk. Mm -hmm. So think about the implications of that, right? So I'm a person who, let's say I drank a kombucha four days ago, right? And there's like lingering alcohol in kombucha is the way it's fermented. 
and I receive one of those tests, I am now labeled as publicly intoxicated despite having 0.0000005 blood alcohol level, right? That's what's happening with PCR tests. So the way PCR tests work is they take a uh, genetic material, like so that's what the nose swab does, right? You take someone's genetic material and you amplify it through what's called cycles. So the way those cycles work is they're just basically zooming in on the genetic material that is being tested for each cycle. And traditionally, um, I might be wrong on this figure, but I, I know it's somewhere along the lines of this. When they have used PCR for flu sometimes, they say that uh, a viral load, which is like enough virus in a genetic uh, material being tested, to be transmissible, right? To like, if you buy into the germ theory of disease, um, it's enough viral load to be transmissible um, is typically between 18 to 22 cycles, right? With COVID-19, we are, there's no uh, limit of detection. We are allowing labs to go basically as many cycles as they want and then report those people as positive for COVID-19. And then the other piece to this is traditional epidemiological cases are a series of symptoms that is then validated by a test. Right now, we are testing people first and we're using PCR tests and many, many of these people aren't showing any symptoms whatsoever. We've never done that before and we've never had the need to. Why are we all of a sudden doing that right now? Yeah, we saw a video from uh, a nurse who had been in some of the Queen's hospitals early on in the process taking behind the scenes videos, and she was actually showing some of the data. You may know, be familiar with this, but she was actually showing um, on a hidden cam some of the data and how the, the, the other nurses and doctors were instructing her, regardless of the test results, to qualify them as COVID sick and putting them on ventilators and all that sort of stuff. Well, taking this um, a step further, you have, a, you have people that test positive with a PCR test that are completely asymptomatic in many states they are saying anyone who has been in contact with that person, you're immediately assumed to be positive. So you have someone who has, again, back to the analogy of the, the alcohol, you have like very small fragments of RNA that may or may not have to even do with uh, SARS-CoV-2 in your system, in this piece of genetic material being tested, you are not sick. You are not presenting any symptoms. You don't have any context for viral load whatsoever in, in, dis, in uh, discerning the results of these tests and you're labeling them as sick because of that test, right? And then anybody that has been in contact with that person is then deemed a positive COVID case as well. It's absurd. And I want to say one more thing. The inventor of PCR, Kerry Mullis, this is a quote from him. If, and this is referencing HIV because they were using PCR for HIV and he completely disagreed with that. If they could find this virus in you at all, and with PCR, if you do it well, you can find almost anything in anybody. It starts making you believe in the sort of Buddhist notion that everything is contained within everything else. If you can amplify one single molecule up to something that you can really measure, which PCR can do, there's just very few molecules that you don't have at least one in your body. It's just a process that's used to make a whole lot of something out of something. It doesn't tell you that you're sick. That's yeah, the inventor that. of PCR. Yeah, that's a mic that. drop right there. 
It is. So real quickly, because you're going to have to talk faster because I have a bunch more questions. <laughs> Why are they using this? Why did the PCR become the, the benchmark for it? I don't know. I mean, <laughs> Where did it come the, from? The, I don't know questions. <laughs> um, yeah. I'm, I'm pretty sure. So during the HIV AIDS epidemic, Dr. Fauci was from my understanding, and I, people can go check me on this. I could be completely wrong. From my understanding, Dr. Fauci was the one that wanted to use the PCR tests during that time period. And I don't know for certain that that's the case now, but I am willing to bet that's also the case right now, that that's the reason we're using PCR tests. So given that logic, this might seem, seem like an obvious question, but I'm still going to ask it. Why are healthy people getting tested? <laughs> because the experts have said that they need to. But why the, the, the experts of choice have said that they need to? Because many experts have said they absolutely don't ever need to. Yeah, but I, so I'm asking the question is why are the experts justifying that? What's the logic behind that? The logic behind that is because we have for the first time in history, not the first time in history, but the first time that we've ever been uh, outwardly expressing concern over this asymptomatic spread and then also pre-symptomatic spread. I really think the only argument that could possibly hold up with that is pre-symptomatic spread because we have a study that was just published out of Wuhan where like I think 10 million people uh, showed no asymptomatic spread existed. And then very early on in the uh, pandemic, we had 455 people that were asymptomatic were exposed to healthy individuals and only one of them got sick. I can send you both those two studies if you want to put them in the show notes. But the point is, Asymptomatic spread isn't like <laughs> by going with the science, asymptomatic spread isn't of concern, according to the science. Uh, yeah, I, I read that report that you read earlier, by the way, um, on the PCR inventor, and I, I just, it just makes me shake my head the insanity behind it when somebody it's who's insane. when somebody who's actually the engineer behind the, the very test they're using says don't use the test and yet it's still being used as the pinnacle and benchmark right why they shut down schools this is the one i just still can't understand okay so i have two statistics for you that are that are um they're accurate as of september i haven't checked since then this has been sort of me leading down the like dude what's the point like <laughs> people are so bought in i don't even feel like <laughs> Unless it's like a very compelling piece of information like Dr. Mike Yeadon, former vice president of Pfizer, coming out with 21 other scientists saying PCR is effectively useless. That was one of the studies that I posted. You Think about this. Think about the implications of this. 22 scientists, experts in their field, virologists, epidemiologists, former vice president of Pfizer, come together, write a report that's like 30 pages long. 10 reasons why the the use of PCR for SARS-CoV-2 is ridiculous and I'll read you the like one of the quotes that stood out to me from that um <laughs> it's just it, it it is truly absurd right um sorry give me one second so the quote is hope I can find it. You have to remember. Okay, here we go. We have identified concerning errors and inherent fallacies, which render the SARS-CoV-2 PCR test useless. That's 22 scientists, experts in their field. So this, this was kind of like the, the straw that broke the camel's back for me posting anything like that. Posted that on Instagram and it got shared 
I want to say like 7,000 shares or something like that. And log into Instagram two days later, deleted. Instagram sends puts up a big banner that says this has violated our community guidelines for spreading harmful false information that could cause people to harm themselves or others or something to that effect. And I was yeah. just like, <laughs> I had, so the three posts that I've had removed are that one, a randomized controlled trial that showed those that received intravenous vitamin C um, at the onset of symptoms had a 60% better chance of living from COVID-19 than those who didn't posted that that was removed for the same reason. And then another one that I posted and I backed it up with my friend who owns a owns three labs and has been conducting PCR forever. And also has been, he like won't give his name yet. And it, I get it. Like he has to provide for his family and, and everything, but he has been providing me this information. He's like, dude, everyone that we've tested um, with our PCR test, we do a full respiratory panel. Every single one that we've tested in nursing homes, cause they go on site and do the, conduct the testing. Um, if they had poor health outcomes or died, nearly every single one of them had also tested positive for uh, trace amounts of bacterial pneumonia, trace amounts of influenza virus, all these other things. But you don't ever hear about that in the media, right? But the point is this, this post that I made on PCR tests, um, a very basic rundown, kind of like I gave you of how PCR works, uh, using data from my friend, right, that owns three labs. And what was so cool about that post is I had multiple other lab techs commenting on it like, oh, my God, this is the best breakdown of PCR that I've seen. Two days later, deleted from Instagram for violating uh, community guidelines. So I, I just got to this point where I'm like, dude, <laughs> there's just no point in posting any like trying to prove my position with this because yeah. they're just going to censor it. Yeah. We can go into that rabbit hole of censorship, but I still want to go back to the question of something that I still haven't really seen a logical explanation is why they shut down schools mm. because kids okay. in the beginning and until this day, I, I think the the narrative has been that children really aren't getting sick. It's, no, they're not. So why would they have shut down schools? I still have, if I was running a tyrannical government with propaganda, manufactured propaganda, you get the shirt <laughs> I wouldn't shut down the schools. I'd keep the schools open so that I could lecture them and brainwash them even better while they're not under the, the tutelage of their parents. Like why would they shut down schools? So I think there's multiple reasons for this. One is to further addict children to technology, mm. um, to further distance children. And this is going to go into my spiritual beliefs. I believe at this time in history, the way the universe would have it was so many people sort of, waking up and understanding their own inherent power and the connectedness that exists between all of us. When you have more people flooding the earth, more souls that are like that flooding the earth for the first time, you want to do anything that you can to keep them separate and keep them disempowered mm -hmm. and disengaged from each other and glued to the devices that you have given them. And then I go to these two data points that are just unbelievably alarming. As of September, 70,000 college kids had tested positive for COVID. Guess how many hospitalizations there were? Three. Close to zero. Yeah. Three. Guess how many deaths? Zero. Zero. As of September. Yeah. And my brother, um, 
not going to name the school that he goes to because <laughs> I don't know if you'd want me to, but my, my younger brother is in college right now and they have a policy. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a three strike policy. If you are caught wearing a mask or not social distance three times, then you are kicked out of school. If you're not wearing a mask and not social distancing. Yeah. Unbelievable. Yep. Um, so that's one statistic. And then here's another one for you. So in any given, I forget the agency that tracks this, but it's a health agency for the government in any given 12 month period in any normal year, uh, seven to 11% of 18 to 24 year olds report feeling suicidal in, in any given 12 month period. Right. Mm-hmm. Which still that's like, that's a lot. Seven to 11%, right. Just in the month of June of 2020, just one month, over 25% of 18 to 24 year olds experience suicidal thoughts. And then you think about the statistics of for, for children uh, under the age of 18 or even people under the age of 30, right? The chances that they will have very minimal complications with uh, COVID-19. Um, the amount of harm that we are causing them is just unbelievably absurd. And honestly, to this point, it's gross. It's, it's, it's gross negligence, isn't it? It is. It absolutely is. It's. And, and, and that's, what's so frustrating is seeing so many decisions being made that are so reductionist in nature. It's like, okay. And this, you can't even say that this is the truth because it's not, but at some point they were like, okay, like this measure that we're doing is going to just, make the virus go away. And like, we'll call that a success. I'm like, what are the second and third order effects of that? And that's a problem with allopathic medicine. And really I, I would say it stems far above that. Just the, the Western way of thinking is so reductionist. Yeah. We like to reduce things to the smallest form and isolate one variable and only study that variable. And as long as we can, depending on which organization it is effectively, uh, get the result we want with that singular thing. It doesn't matter what happens to the other variables that exist in the system. As long as this one has the result that I want it to. Yeah. Well, cause they can build propaganda off of that and sell that easier. If they're able to isolate that one piece of information, yeah. right. They're able to, they're able to compound that in all sorts of visual narratives. 100%. So, so we're running out of time and I, but I, I'm sorry. Have, yeah. No, I talked forever. There, dude, there's no apology. So a couple of questions. And one of these I got from a post that you had done. Why are people so against the most against using the most advanced immunological weapon we have on this planet, our bodies? Why are people so <laughs> adverse to just stop being a fat piece of shit and eat healthy? Get outside and exercise. Put down the beer. Put down the cigarettes. Whatever it is, like almost almost every single one of these top ten categories that are categorically killing Americans primarily are are mostly preventable. And again, let me just say this. Because you said something earlier that kind of triggered me. I would like to just re- restate for the record. People are dying. I yeah. get it. All due respect to anyone who has lost someone. I'm not saying that people are not dying. But there were 650,000 people who died from the flu last year alone. Those people, people are going to die. There, there is no such thing as permanence. That's the human beast. We live. We, we have introduced diseases because of our lifestyle. And some of us are going to die. That. I might be one of them. What we're saying and what I think you're clearly saying, and hopefully I'm not speaking for you, is that, yes, people are dying. Yes, people are getting sick. But the reasons that people are getting sick 
and the justification response for the reasons that people are getting sick by shutting down our schools and shutting down our businesses and shutting down our lifestyles and quarantining us and deconstructing humanism as we know it are not are not fucking okay. But yet you can keep government open. They get paid regardless. What do they give a fuck about? They're still getting paid. But you can keep government, giant corporations, pharmaceutical companies, massive organizations that are getting trickled down. But you can keep all of them open. This is what we're saying. So I just I just want to say that because I haven't actually officially said that. But why are people so adverse to trusting their own bodies? So this will tie into the the thing that you just said. Um, people are averse to trusting their own bodies because of two reasons, in my opinion. They have been fed bullshit on what health looks like, and they have bought that bullshit, which is why America has some of the worst health outcomes amongst all industrialized nations. I think we're actually either last or second to last in, in most categories. I, I think you're right. And it's like amongst OECD nations. So there's 36 countries that we compare ourselves to for like trade, economics, uh, health, everything, right? And uh, when it comes to the health category, we spend by far the most on healthcare and have by far the worst health outcomes of those countries. Um, but so there's two things like, cause, cause I hear people from both sides of the spectrum. It's like, Oh, like take health into your own hands. Like that's like, that's your fault. If you don't know how to be healthy, which yeah, there's, there's truth to that. And there's also truth to what we are taught health looks like what we are fed in this system. That is a, a for-profit pharmaceutical backed medical paradigm. What we are told health is, is a drug, a surgery, a pill, a vaccine. Those are the measures we take in order to ensure health. I'm like, really, is that the case? Then why is the third leading cause of death in the United States medical error? Why do we have the worst health outcomes despite being uh, the country that uh, comprises 5% of the world population consumes upwards of 50% of the world's pharmaceutical products? Why I do I didn't realize that, la that last stat you just said the third leading cause of death is health related medical error in the United States is the third leading cause of death. Holy fuck. Guess and so then number number one is uh heart disease and number two is cancer. And we know now that cancer is metabolic. Uh or there's there's a lot of emerging science that shows that cancer is metabolic and heart disease is absolutely preventable. So if the third leading cause of death is medical error, are one go back, in go back for a second. Sorry. Metabolic meaning that explain that. A little bit more. So I don't want to like I could break this down. <laughs> this would take a lot, a lot of time. So high level, I, just 30, 30 seconds. What does that mean? I'll just I want people to go watch Jeff Weitzman's documentaries on cancer. One being called Cancer Can Be Killed. Cancercanbekilled.com. What is it, Jeff Weitzman? Yeah, W-I-T-Z-E-M-A-N. He's phenomenal. Okay. So getting back to those stats real quick, the third leading cause of death is medical error, right? Number one and two are cancer and heart disease. So those patients that have cancer, have heart disease, are also seeing doctors within the allopathic system, which again points back to medical error being some sort of cause for even the first and second leading cause of death in the United States. W No, it's W-I-T-Z-E-M-A-N. My bad. Yeah, on that one. 
He's he's phenomenal. Phenomenal, phenomenal. <laughs> Sorry, spell it third for the third time for me. W I T Z. Uh-huh. E M A N. Got it. Okay. And it's not solely metabolic either. Jeff will break it down more. It's again, it's 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 mind, body, spirit. Like hmm. there, there's more to cancer. There's more to any any health issue um than than just the physical approach. And that that ties into what I'm talking about here too. Like disease presents itself. <laughs> Um, as a result of uh, mental and and spiritual issues as well, Absolutely. disease will manifest. No question. Um, I mean, you think about the experiments that show when you speak ill things to plants, Absolutely. <laughs> they don't grow as well as when you speak positive affirmations to other plants. Absolutely. Um, but I think your initial question was, why don't people trust their immune system? Okay, so on, on it, one it side... Took me, it took me 15 years to get over how my dad spoke to me, so I can vouch for that. Research, dude, research I, back science. Dude, right I 100% saying I'm in the same boat as you on that one. Um, a, lot of, a, lot of, a lot of inner child work, trauma healing. <laughs> a, lot of but, daily, a lot of daily affirmations in my journal for yes. 15 years. <laughs> God, that I can do this. <laughs> Absolutely. That's good. Um, but it's, it's both. It's not that like, oh, people – the reason people aren't healthy is because like they don't have the proper steps, which like turns it on someone. It's someone else's problem, not the individual's. But then the other side of the spectrum says, oh, people need to take health in their own hands. Like they, they know how to be healthy. They're just lazy. And it's really a combination of the two. And uh, there's a lot of nuance to either side. So for many, it's that they don't have the proper resources or knowledge on what health looks like because they believe it is only a surgery, a pill, a drug, a treatment, a vaccine. That's what health looks like. That is what our health care system comprises of. And then on the other side of the spectrum, you have like what's being offered is those things. So it's like, it's a combination of the two, which is why we've been effectively led to believe that we are biologically dependent on pharmaceutical products for survival. Cause that is what the Western healthcare system offers its patients. And I always go back to my own personal example, again, tying it all in, trusting my own intuition. I witnessed my own mom under the care of the psychiatric industry for 18 years and be in and out of mental hospitals, try to commit suicide multiple times, almost succeed. I I wrote off any chance of me ever having a relationship with my mom, right? And then she meets Dr. Kelly Brogan by chance, thank God. And Dr. Kelly Brogan empowers my mom with the tools for what health looks like. My mom gets off all of her benzodiapines and SSRIs that she's on and is completely normal and has been for the last four years for the first time and like for a four year period, completely fine. A lot of healing, a lot of trauma work that went into that as well, too, because it's mental, physical and spiritual. Right? And has an Instagram account twice the size of yours. Yes, she does. <laughs> for now, until she gets deleted too, right? <laughs> Except for her backup. is she, She's been going really hard on her so backup. So stop right there now. for your mom. And I know your mom's story. You talked about the pharmaceutical companies. You've referenced them 10 times. You wrote something, if I may, that in, in 2019, they changed their patent language. What did you mean by that? Okay, so... This one, I'm actually not sure if I was entirely correct on, but I like, I'll have people can go look for themselves because I know Dr. David Martin discussed this and I've sifted through the updates in Moderna's patent application for um, a, 
what they call a beta coronavirus vaccine. And the re- they changed their language, from my understanding, because they had had this patent that they had began the application process in 2015 for the development of a product. And they changed the language in March of 2019 to say specifically, because of the emergence uh, or vaccine development was initiated because of the threat or the emergence of or deliberate release of a coronavirus. Mm. Yeah. So they changed their language in March of 2019 to say just that. They also have applied for indemnity and, and don't, I'm not going to quote myself on the numbers, but I know there has been billions of dollars in lawsuits that have been paid out by pharmaceutical companies so, in the last X number of years, right? Well, so not by pharmaceutical companies. So this is, this is where a lot of people don't realize this. As of 1986, the National Vaccine, uh, National Childhood Vaccine Injury Act of 1986 uh, that was signed into law, um, vaccine manufacturers cannot be held liable for injury or death uh, that results from their products. So each vaccine that is administered has a 75 cent tax attached to it that goes into a fund for the National Vaccine Injury Court, where if you are harmed or injured by a vaccine, you cannot sue the pharmaceutical companies that made that vaccine as long as they give you informed consent. And that's a very loose, (laughs) we don't really give true informed consent. They have like if you, if you ask for it when you go to the doctor, like, hey, I want to see the package insert on this. I want to see the clinical trials that were published. Um, you you are then given informed consent. But in most cases right now in, in uh, the United States, if you go to a doctor, they don't say anything about the negative uh, effects or what the clinical trial said for any vaccine. But the point is, if you are injured or your son or daughter is injured by vaccine or you are ki- your, your family member is killed or your son or daughter is killed, you have to go up against the U.S. government, the Department of Justice, and prove, according to a table that they have of possible vaccine injuries, which they have taken a lot of things off of that table since uh, like the 1990s, um, autism being one of them, uh, or chronic insulopathy. Um, they've taken multiple things off those tables, but you have to go basically plead your case to the U.S. government on how your child was injured by vaccines. And the max payout is $250,000. I, I was quickly doing some math over on my phone here. You said they get a 75% excise tax for every- no, 75 cent tax. 75 cents tax. Mm-hmm. That's $5,625,000,000 if the vaccine was put across 7.5 billion people. Yeah, probably. It is. I just did the math. No. I'm not a rain man over here. I'm over, I'm over here punching in my fat fingers on the phone. That wasn't so, a rain man data. Yeah. So I want people to think about the implications of that, right? So I'm, I feel bad because there's so many times in this podcast, I'm like, I'm pretty sure someone go check me. I'm like, I hope I'm not wrong on all this. And if I am, that's good. Because then you checked and you researched for yourself and you thought for yourself, right? So it all ties in. But the point is, I know for a fact that that is true. But the one part, I don't know what, as it applies to emergency use authorization, which is what these uh, pharmaceutical companies are trying to apply for to use uh, to speed up and, and, and administer the uh, the SARS-CoV-2 vaccine is... Uh, I think the government also does not have to pay out for injury 
on when something is under emergency use authorization, but I'm not a hundred percent sure on that. But let's say the government still pays out, right? You have companies who are known to be corrupt, who have proven over and over and over again. As an example, Pfizer uh, settled the largest, I, I don't want to ruin my words here. I'm, they had the largest healthcare fraud settlement in existence and largest criminal payout ever, $2.3 billion in 2009 for false for knowingly false advertising on one of their products. Yeah, Not a vaccine, but something else. But okay, Pfizer, that company, the company that did that is making a vaccine and they're saying our vaccine is 90% effective. Oh, and also if uh, this product that we're going to coerce you to receive harms or kills you, we don't have to pay anything for it. I read a story and I don't want to go into the details on that, but I read a story that um, there, there are multiple levels, and this is my layman interpretation. There are multiple levels of, of vaccine testing. There's an animal study that's done in between before it's sent to humans. And in, in this particular vaccine case, they've completely skipped that trial. So there was no like, there was no quality control on living organisms, so to speak. Is that correct? Am I saying that properly? Or I can uh, yeah, you are. I mean, like the vaccine science as it exists right now is completely shoddy to begin with anyway. Yeah. They have never, ever, ever conducted a study that shows uh, long-term health outcomes between un a fully unvaccinated population versus a fully vaccinated population. They have never done that. And their excuse for why they, they won't do it is because it would be unethical to not give a child a vaccine. Although you have <laughs> hundreds, probably hundreds of thousands of kids um, in the United States, or let's say North America, whatever. There's there's so many kids in the United States that aren't vaccinated that have a valid religious, philosophical, or medical exemption, depending on what state they're in. So you could very, very easily conduct that study. And that study could shut people like me up, like definitively. Right. Yeah. You, it would, it would shut us up because that is the study. Actually, really interesting though. Dr. James Lyons Wheeler and Dr. Paul Thomas just released a peer reviewed study comparing unvaccinated and vaccinated health comes And The entire peer reviewed process. I want to, I want to say is in my opinion, completely bogus because pharmaceutical companies have their hands in medical journals like none other. They have their hands yeah. in everything. And that's that's business. That's not like some conspiracy. When yeah. you have amassed the wealth that you have as publicly traded companies and you pay $228 million in 2019 for lobbying in government, the second highest was the oil and gas industry at $92 million, So triple oil and gas as an industry. And then you account for 70% of news media advertising, which the pharmaceutical industry does. You're able to effectively control the narrative and then also to a certain degree influence legislation, no question. Yeah. Right. And then you're able to influence everything thereafter as well when you have your hand in the medical industry so much. But nonetheless, that what, what I'm trying to say is if they're able to effectively control everything, the fact that studies even exist pointing to vaccines being inefficacious and unsafe should make people think. Yeah. Right. But just real quick, one study that just came out um, recently comparing health outcomes between vaccinated and unvaccinated kids uh, by James Lyons Wheeler and Paul Thomas quote from, from the uh, conclusion, we have found higher rates of office visits and diagnosis of common 
chronic ailments in the most vaccinated children in the practice compared to children who are completely unvaccinated. And this is one of many studies that exist that implicate unvaccinated children are much healthier than their vaccinated peers. Yeah. And again, I'm not going to tell anyone to believe me at face value. You go research this information for yourself. And if you want to vaccinate your children or vaccinate yourself, you choose to do so. Just make a decision that is based on trusting your intuition first before blindly accepting what anybody says. Great close on that. All right. So you and I could talk about this forever. I, we didn't even get to half of our questions. I'm sorry. <laughs> That's okay. No, don't oh, apologize, man. I've great. really enjoyed this conversation. I have my, I do have two final questions. So what is your take on life imitating art as it relates to this and the universal context, the universal plan that there is some sort of bright light at the end of all this? What's your take on all that? Oh man. I love talking about this stuff. So can you do that in one minute? <laughs> oh yeah, I can try to. So Did I mean, no. no, I mean, I, uh, so the universe as I know it to be, or, or this reality as I know it to be, um, exists and, and manifests itself for the purpose of self-realization and in a infinite number of beautiful patterns and ways. Right. And this all ties in with my belief, like on, on free thinking or individual thought is I know that there are so many people who aren't going to agree with what I say. And that's okay because that is the way that they have chosen their portion of consciousness has chosen to express in this lifetime. And I don't believe it is ever right to impose my will or way of thinking on another who is me very literally me at the, at the most fundamental level, because they are just, we are all extensions of each other. We are all one being me trying to imp impose and force myself upon myself uh, in, in, a, in a controlling manner is wrong for me. It only harms me. Nature and reality and, and humanity expressing itself in so many beautiful ways is what makes this reality worth living. Even the darkness, you have to have the option of darkness so you can see what light truly looks like. Yeah. You have to. And that's this, this dance that we're in, which is what I like to call it too. We're, we're, in, we're in an infinite dance with ourselves and our environment is beautiful because of all of those expressions, even the dark ones. It's the yin and yang of life. We, you touched on that at the beginning of the whole conversation that, that there's a there's a bigger play for all of this. I think there's it's kind of funny. It's a microcosm within a microcosm. It's like one of those little things when we did we were in uh, elementary school or middle school. We had to build those little dioramas. Remember how we built the little the caricatures and the houses and the there was the forest and the farms. I don't. Know, I, I did this as a class. We, we built these little I micro. I don't remember that, but that sounds super rad. Yeah, so basically we got to build our own uh, clay putty simulation of our lives, and we'd build these little – this is some class I did in middle school. I went to school in middle school, sixth grade. Yeah, and so anyhow, within this story, this universal pattern of what's going on, right, 
there's so there's all these other plays that are being played out. So there's the government playing out what it's playing out. There's all of us and how we respond to that. There's our individual world oh, that we're playing out. Right like now. it's what's the little characters in Sesame Street where they stacked inside of each other and they just kept talking about like Russian dolls. Yeah, it's like a big giant Russian doll simulation, isn't it? <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. And it goes on forever. All right, so we've been on the phone for an hour and a half. This has been great. What's the light at the end of the tunnel here? <laughs> okay. So I have people ask me this a lot. And again, I don't, I don't claim to be the expert on this, but this is just the reality as the way I see it. So you have a lot of Oracle. Yeah. <laughs> no, the, the Oracle from so you were the Oracle. <laughs> no, I'm not. Um, and I wouldn't ever want to, be. but <laughs> um, people, people will send me things uh, that are, very perceptively scary future possibilities that we may run into. And this is where I'm going to sort of quote the law of one here. Cause raw um, the, I'll say the teacher in the law of one puts it articulates this very beautifully. They ask him, um, well, he's not even a, he, they ask raw uh, what, like, what's the deal with all of these, uh, like, like people like Nostradamus and their ability to predict the future. How come sometimes they're right, sometimes they're wrong? And Ra answers beautifully and he uses an analogy of a supermarket, right? So humanity and its evolution is akin to a person who is hungry in a supermarket. He is hungry. He or she is hungry. He or she is at the supermarket and is going to purchase food. What food will be purchased is fully dependent on the appetite of that person at that point in time and how that relates to what we're experiencing now. We have a lot of possible dark projections in the future, a lot of possible timelines, so to speak, that are very perceptively evil and dark where we're all fucking enslaved and everything sucks and it's like, why even exist? And then we have a lot of possible things that are very light. And people are saying like, oh, this is going to happen or this is going to happen. When in the reality is, it's what we choose consciously so my, for our reality. So my future reality could be different than yours. Yeah. Well, it, like collectively and individually, it could be, it could exist where reality is dark as shit, but I do the work by aligning my thoughts and feelings and then taking deliberate action. That's why I don't like the secret. Because it misses the whole deliberate action piece. It's mm -hmm. aligning thoughts and feelings and taking deliberate action towards something that you want. It could be in a reality where like I and the rest of humanity is bringing into existence something that is really dark. But you have done the work to ensure that you are aligning thoughts and feelings and, and working towards something that is beautiful for you. And then you find yourself in a situation where you're completely fine and I'm fucking enslaved. So individually and collectively humanity has the ability to do this. And collectively it's obviously much more powerful when we're all able to align thoughts and feelings and then work with deliberate action towards whatever we want it to be. So the light at the end of the tunnel is there if we want it to be. We have the ability to consciously create and bring into existence what we want for ourselves and for each other. On that mind fuck, close us out with five things right now. If you had to impart 
wisdom, five things we should be doing as humans. Um, Quick, short. Okay, right now you need to make a concerted effort to detoxify yourself. And that's mind, body, and spirit detoxification. What does that look like? You're bringing to surface those things in your body. And again, mind, body, and spirit. So all of those areas, bringing them to the surface and ridding yourself of them. That's one thing. Number two, think for yourself. What I mean by that is exactly what I've touched on this entire podcast. I think I've said it over and over and over again. Trust your own intuition, step out of fear, and be able to discern information for yourself and don't blindly accept what anybody says before you trust yourself. Trust yourself first. Number three, eat clean organic foods. And if, um, if you're into that type of thing, I highly encourage people to grow their own food. My wife and I tried that. We sucked at it. We got like two squashes to grow, but we're trying again. (laughs) So that's what matters. It's the thought that counts, but, uh, no, eat, eat, eat clean. Like health is individual and health starts by cleaning your insides through detoxification. And then bringing into your body things that nurture it and allow it to thrive. So eat clean. Um, Number four, be mindful. Take up a meditative practice. Um, There's a lot of tools to help people be mindful other than meditation too. It's, It's literally just sit and when you eat your food, really think about how the food tastes rather than think about, oh, what happened at work yesterday? What's happening tomorrow? Think and sit and enjoy the wind on your face, the food in your mouth that you taste. Really make an effort to look at your loved ones and look them in the eye and see them. Um, so I think that's that would be number four. Just mindfulness is extremely important right now. Um, and then number five, understand that we are eternal. The fear of death makes us individually so easy to control and manipulate. When you understand that death is just another process of, of birth, really, it's not truly death. We're eternal beings that exist forever. That can't be used against you. And is, is that to say that I don't ever fear death? Fuck no. Fear death quite a bit. But I make a concerted effort to center myself through mindfulness approaches and meditation. And so many people that have meditative practices fall back on this reality that we are eternal beings. And this reality that we're in for temporarily is just an illusion. We live on forever. And when you have that fundamentally to fall back on at the end of every day, even when you're in your most fearful state, you can easily get yourself out of that fear. I love those five. Alex, this has been a good conversation. We went way longer than I thought we would. So I'm sorry, dude. No, no, I you said don't, don't say sorry, but no, so bad. much wisdom. I hope we weren't. Too, were we too negative? Were we good? Were we were we positive mostly? I think so, dude. It's important to touch on the negative shit, though. Like that. This is a misconception on. Sorry, one minor little thing. Misconception on spirituality, and this is where I like to separate New Ageism and like the deep. Uh, like well-established 
ancient religions and philosophies. The difference between the two new ageism is this toxic positivity that pretends darkness doesn't exist and pretends the future doesn't have possibilities of darkness. That's bullshit. Darkness does exist. <laughs> Evil things do fucking happen. It's important to bring them into awareness, even bring the possibility of darkness into your awareness and choose to make a conscious, make a conscious choice to respond to those things with love and compassion. Because what you resist persists. And if you resist darkness by shoving it down or by thrusting darkness back at darkness, it will persist. Mm -hmm. Responding to it with love and compassion. And that's not like, oh, love, like punch me in the face. Like uh, who gives a fuck? Just do whatever you want to me. No, that's like you can have a boundary, right? Set a boundary like, hey, I, I understand where you're coming from. Or I understand that you want me to take this this vaccine that I think is completely harmful for me. But I'm not going to do that because I love myself and I love this reality and I love those around me. And that's not going to happen for me. So it's it's responding to darkness with love and compassion. It's not denying the existence of it. That's a nice morsel. I, I like what you just said there. Uh, I'm reading some books on stoicism right now. And one of the, the overarching principles that I am trying to engage in my entire life right now is that you always have a choice in how you respond to everything. And the choice that you make will lead to more choices, right? But I think if I were to have one message to anybody that I have engaged with right now, and I have a very, very similar opinion on most of this as you do, is we have a choice. You always have a choice. No matter what you're told, you always have a choice. And I hope that the choice that you make is in your best interest. And that's... So anyhow, all right. So I choose to end this call. You have been brilliant, <laughs> honestly, man. I have really enjoyed. I've, I, uh, you've lived up to all my expectations, so thank you. Um, it was exciting. I'd like to do this again and go down some different rabbit holes with you if you're up for it. But Absolutely. Um, any of the closing thoughts? You good? No, dude. I feel like I talked enough. <laughs> I, I think I'm good. If, if you guys are good, I talked most of the time on our side. So sorry. No, no. Okay. Fantastic. Well, yeah, I hope I hope I like you're you're sitting there like like kind of smiling like like it could either be like oh I really enjoy what he said or like this dude's a fucking idiot. Me? <laughs> yeah. No, no, you know if I'm not, if I'm not enjoying it. Okay, it's, like, it's me. You, you just like you just stand stand up like this like. But <laughs> 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 our producer in our ear is saying, "Dude, let her talk. Let her talk." And I'm like, I can't. I've got to get this question. <laughs> hey, thank you so much. I really appreciate you, man. Like, and keep we'll the virtual fist yeah, pump right there. Yeah. If we were here in physical podcast room together, I'd give you a hug. I appreciate Hell it. Hell yeah. Dude, awesome. keep on doing what you're doing. No matter Thank how you. many times they fuck you over, just keep on doing it. Yeah. And uh, I'll tell people that are listening, also follow me on uh, or subscribe to my Telegram. And that's uh, if you use the Telegram app, The Way Forward, but it's spelled F-W-R-D. So The Way F-W-R-D. Because... Uh, I'm betting 14 days from now, actually, that my Instagram account will be deleted. So, did I have this right? Yeah, yeah. Well, the the way forward is one word, but yeah, it's basically right. Okay. Well, I'm not very good at typing these things. Whatever, up. it's cool. All right, dude. Appreciate you. <laughs> yeah, thank you Thanks guys so much. Well with us, I appreciate it. Have this a great good. night. Bye. You too.